politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready, itching to fight for liberty. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house here at CR Podcast. It is Wednesday, June 16th. And yes, I do have a spring in my step because I feel we are itching a little bit closer to July 4th. And I don't just mean the date of July 4th, but I mean actually getting a handle on what is happening to us and actualizing the potential we have. And the potential is enormous. With the left being exposed and so unpopular and yet in power at a federal level, we finally have both the opportunity and somewhat of a focus to where the solution is and has always been and that is the interposition of the states and counties that we can control to finally set ourselves free, a new declaration of independence. And today I'm going to discuss how this really needs to be done, needs to be led by some of the bigger states that we supposedly control, like Texas and Florida, but certainly then followed by places that are smaller, like Idaho and Oklahoma, North Dakota, and working together, especially There is so much that can be done against the system. The system is so irremediably corrupt. I'm working on tons of stories. We're seeing whether it's the lies of COVID, which have now reached a level, in my view, of bioterrorism against us. The censorship of life-saving treatment, the foisting upon us and mandating an experimental mRNA that is increasingly proven to have problems with it. They foisted it upon us. They locked us down, covered our faces. We now have evidence from a couple of Florida parents that cultured the masks of their school children and found dangerous bacteria on them, as we predicted. Why has this not been studied at all during an entire year? We need a declaration of independence from this. And simply in the areas that we supposedly have a majority— if we only had leaders that were willing to themselves interpose and work together with others who are considering doing so, we would have a much greater solution than even winning back House, Senate, and the presidency. So we're going to unpack this today. But folks, when you're talking about the Declaration of Independence, declaring independence from the system, breaking off of it, it starts really in the culture and economy by not patronizing the system's entities. Patriot Mobile, our sponsor here, has really given us an opportunity, a rare opportunity to do that for something that is such a a vital need um, for mobile service. They are the only Christian conservative wireless carrier in the country, and not only don't they give to the bad guys, they actually donate a portion of every dollar to organizations that fight for the causes that you and I care about, Right now, they have two great offers to choose from. Either get 50% off your first two months or $100 off the top of any phone. Both come with free uh, Premier activation. If you go to patriotmobile.com slash CR, as in conservative review. Um, And the thing about them is they really do have the broadest nationwide coverage and they use the same towers as the major providers So you get that great service for less money. Switching is easy. Again, go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call their U.S.-based team 
Not in India, not in China. 972-PATRIOT. That's 972-PATRIOT. Veterans and first responders save even more. PatriotMobile.com slash CR. Again, for your choice of 50% off or $100 off a phone, that's PatriotMobile.com slash CR or 972-PATRIOT. All right, folks. So one of the things that really got me excited was this news that Ron DeSantis, governor of Florida today, is going to announce that he's sending law enforcement personnel to the Texas and Arizona border. This is the budding of this broad collaboration compact between red states that I've been talking about to take the issue of illegal immigration and then hopefully eventually many other issues away from the feds, which is what needs to be done. And we have no other choice. Eventually, what needs to happen is that half the states get together and say, look, you guys want illegals. We don't. Go have them. And you fund. You have some sort of almost like compact where you start funding your own ICE, your own patrol. And you just send them to California or send them to Mexico, whatever. That's not what he's doing here. But again, this is the first step. Collaborating to take control, to seize the narrative. This is so, so important. So important. And again, you just look at the news that is going on today. West Point is, is basically forcing the, uh, the cadets into what is ostensibly solitary confinement if they don't get vaccinated. We have criminals being set loose. We have illegal aliens being flooded into our country. We have a government and system, corporate media and corporations promoting anti-white hate at every turn. And it's turning violent. There's another story. An off-duty Jersey City police officer was beaten unconscious by a group of men shouting anti-white slurs at him. We now have this reporter, Ivy Hecker, or Ivory Hecker, um, from formerly from Fox 26 in Houston, who blew the whistle on Fox, Fox Corp, that was censoring the stuff that they felt wasn't good for race, censoring hydroxychloroquine. And she's going to join us hopefully on Friday. That'll be a very exciting show. We now know Revolver has a great story. Tucker talked about it last night. How federal agents, the FBI, seem to have foreknowledge of the Capitol attack and seem to be involved in it. Every single thing that happens is a lie, is an attack on us, an attack on our values. We can no longer solve this through conventional means. There is just one choice. And I'm, I'm bold enough to say it. We do need some sort of a declaration of independence from this. And it's going to take the form of the big states that have conservative majorities standing up and doing their own thing. We are living in a Federalist 46 moment. This was the essay that Madison wrote, one of several, to assuage the concerns of those who felt that the state governments would get crushed by the new, the newly created federal government. And Madison swatted those down, and he made it a very important point. I mean not by these reflections to insinuate 
that the new federal government will not embrace a more enlarged plan of policy than the existing government may have pursued, much less that its view will be as confined as those of the state legislatures. But only that it will partake sufficiently of the spirit of both to be uh, disinclined to invade the rights of the individual states or the prerogatives of their governments. The motives on the part of the state governments to augment their prerogatives by defalcations from the federal government will be overruled by no reciprocal predispositions in, it, in the members. Warren admitted, however, that the federal government may feel an equal disposition with the state governments to extend its power beyond the due limits. The latter, meaning the states, would still have the advantage in the means by defeating such encroachments. If an act of a particular state, now he goes to the other end of the spectrum. He says, let's say a state gets tyrannical. Right? Let's say if an act of a particular state, though unfriendly to the national government, be generally popular in that state and should not too grossly violate the oaths of the state officers. It is executed immediately, and of course by means on the spot and depending on the state alone. The opposition of the federal government or the interposition of federal officers would but inflame the zeal of all parties on the side of the state, and the evil could not be prevented or repaired, if at all, without the employment of means which must always be resorted to with reluctance and difficulty, meaning the military. In other words, he's saying if a state becomes tyrannical, it's kind of hard for the feds to deal with it because, you know, it's local. And it, it likely has popular support in our system. He understood that the only way it would happen is if the people kind of go along with it. But then he says, on the other hand, should an unwarrantable measure of the federal government be unpopular in particular states, which would seldom fail to be the case, or even a warrantable measure to be so, which may sometimes be the case, the means of opposition to, to it are powerful and at hand. The disquietude of the people, their repugnance and perhaps refusal to cooperate with the officers of the union, the frowns of the executive magistracy of the state, that's the governor, the embarrassments created by the legislative devices, which would often be added on such occasion, so you have the legislature together with the governor, would oppose in any state difficulties not to be despised, would form in a large state, like Florida and Texas, for example, I'm adding that in, very serious impediments, and where the sentiments of several adjoining states happen to be in unison, so you get together, would present obstructions which the federal government would hardly be willing to encounter. And um, that's, that's interposition. Madison understood the power of one state and then several states getting together. If, if, if the red state said, we're not doing this, there's nothing the feds could do, really. That's the joke. The reason we haven't had this, you say, well, Daniel, there's this places with, with majority, you know, Trump voters, 70, 80%. Well, the reason is because Republicans have betrayed us. Republicans are part of that system. But now, especially when this is occurring under a Democrat administration, so naturally, just because of politics, Republicans, by extension, their voters get more disquiet about what is going on. You know, if Trump were doing it, somehow it's okay. If a Republican does it, somehow okay, which is stupid. But now is the opportunity. There's a market for it. The people are going to demand, are you standing up to Biden? Mind you, even with a Republican as president, the system still controls. The system's not just the Democrat Congress or the Democrat president. It's everything. It's the media. It's academia. It's all the donors. It's the corporations. It's everyone in power of any sort. Because we've allowed that cancer to grow. 
But right now, there is so much opportunity. It's starting. But the stuff we can do to interpose on illegal immigration, on crime, on COVID fascism, on education, racism, true racism, a lot can be done to grab that power back. And that is what I'm going to be working on putting out, as I always do, my columns. I have a lot of new columns this week, a lot of interesting stuff we might not have time to get to today. But I'm going to be putting out ideas on each issue, what can be done at a county, state level, state legislatures, governors, the primaries that we need to focus on. I, I, I started out this year and I said this year will determine the future of our country. After having such abuse from COVID fascism, are we going to fight back when the evidence is now on our side? Or are we going to cut our wins? You know, they say cut your losses. Are we going to cut our wins and go home? We have to press our advantage now. You know, we think sometimes things aren't politically feasible. It's not true. We need to think big. Because I'm finding even some of the stuff I was proposing was small potatoes. Don't think we can't fight back on illegal immigration at a state level. Do it. Do it anyway. And again, one of my plans is to have a conference together with our sponsor, Patriot Academy. ConstitutionCoach.com has a number of dates in the fall for their next runs of the Constitutional Defense Course at Front Sight Firearms Training Facility in Pahrump, Nevada. They study the Constitution at night, during the day, They train at that 550-acre complex. The best defensive training. You don't have to have experience. It's for novices as well, first-timers, as well as people with experience. They have two-day and four-day courses. I do recommend the four-day if you could take off because the training starts to click really at the end of the second day. So, you know, you go home right then. You kind of lose it, but, you know, if you can't take off of work, I do, uh, you know, encourage that, the the two-day course. Um, and it's, it's 16 hours of firearms training, eight hours of intellectual training in the classroom. Um, amazing, amazing experience. You can meet members of this show. Um, I myself, I won't be there in the September run, but I will be there October 31st, the one that starts then. Um, so if you want to meet me, if you want to be a state team leader for our, uh, constitution action network, that would be a great time to meet other people. Visit constitutioncoach.com to register for the upcoming courses today. You will receive 90% off their training. What that means is the four-day course, if you sign up with Frontside, that's 2000 bucks. But if you sign up through constitutioncoach.com, it's $150. Obviously, ammo is expensive, so you got to pay for supplies and your airfare. But look, make a vacation out of it, a nice fall vacation when things get cooler there in the desert. And we're going to have a great time, as we have always done this past year. So again, constitutioncoach.com, your best physical and intellectual ammo you will ever get. So folks, going back to the way we started today, Federalist 46 and Madison, we're talking about how easy it is for states that are committed to abiding by the Constitution and really rallying around the silent majority within their states to interpose against federal encroachments or violations of oath of office, like we're seeing with illegal immigration at a federal level, how easy it is to do this. And the opportunity and the imperative that we have now to pursue that 
in the big states like Florida and Texas, as well as the smaller red states like Idaho, North Dakota, Oklahoma. But why is it not happening? Why has it not happened until now? More aptly put, how has the left run the ball down the field so far without that response? I mean, you look at the electoral returns in some of these areas, and you would imagine that the governance in that area should reflect those values. I mean, just today I'm going to have a column out about Polk County, Texas, in, in the far east there. This was a, a county Trump won by a net of 54 points, and yet there is an elected judge there from the judiciary, not the executive judge, who actually forced vaccination on a parent, a divorced parent who wanted to see his child and then let out a child rapist with just 180 days in jail. And this is in a a county that's Trump plus 54. How does that happen? And the answer is that the red counties and states aren't really red. And the reason they're not is because we never focus on primaries and often don't really have them. This is why it is no exaggeration. I said this for those of you who are out at our front site event when I spoke uh, earlier last month. Truly, the upcoming Republican primaries, particularly the gubernatorial and state-based primaries, much more so than the federal primaries, are truly the most important election of our lifetime, elections of our lifetime, because they will determine whether this past year of COVID fascism, of record illegal immigration, record crime, just the dismantling of our culture, of our rights, of the entire social compact of why we have a government, if we don't respond to that with any sort of change with the type of Republicans we are electing, then It will never change. Nothing will change. That is why the primaries this year, gubernatorial primaries, are so, so important. Now, if that is true, which state do you think is the most important? Well, what's the largest red state in the country? That's obviously Texas. Texas already has that spirit of independence. It always has as the Lone Star State. But you look at it, is it better than where I am in Maryland? Yes, but not that much better. It's better on guns. But you look at the COVID fascism, they had it for much of time. You look at illegal immigration, you have in-state tuition there for illegals. You look at the crime. I mean, I could find you as many jailbreak crime stories out of Harris County as I can in New York and L.A. It really isn't that red. And I'm not even getting into the leadership of the legislature and the fact that you have these committee chairs that are either rhino Republicans or downright Democrats. They seated half the chairmanships there. We couldn't even get my buddy Brian Slayton's Border wall bill passed. Is that going to change? Well, for the first time, there is a legitimate primary against long-serving Governor Greg Abbott. One of the announced candidates so far is Don Hoffines. He served in the state Senate from 2015 to 2019. He's a self-made businessman, and he has thrown his hat into the ring. There are others who are going to run as well. The good news is there is a runoff scenario, so we don't have to worry about the Idaho situation where we could split the vote and the incumbent winds up winning. So we're going to explore if this candidate has what it takes to make Texas red. Hey, Don, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, well, thank you, Daniel. And you sure framed that uh this interview uh, so well. I mean, this you're totally correct. This is the 
most important election in 22 in the United States. And I think history could tell that this could be one of the most important elections in the history of our country, the primary, the, the Republican primary for governor. So a lot of people might be asking, all right, Daniel, I understand there's people like Mike DeWine in Ohio. I mean, he's still there with the masks and promoting all this stuff. But Greg Abbott, he kind of, you know, he's got the Texas accent. He sounds conservative. Um, look at all the stuff he's doing recently. Wow. I mean, you know, every day he comes out with something new. He's fighting on illegal immigration now. He put out yesterday, I've just signed a resolution asserting Texas sovereignty under the 10th Amendment. Um, I, I couldn't get this stuff passed in the legislature, a sovereignty bill, but he says he's going to abide by it executively to prevent federal encroachments. Uh, don't we already have such a leader? No, we absolutely do not. And that's why I'm running. I'm running because I'm tired of being lied to. And I think most of the Republicans in Texas, we're all tired of being lied to. We're tired of broken and empty promises. We're tired of the rhinos running our state. And just look at the issues. I mean, is our border secure? No. Are property taxes going down? No. We have some of the highest property taxes in the nation. And do we have confidence in our election, for instance? No. We, we know that people cheat in our elections, and we don't have any confidence. And I can go on and on. And I tell you, Republicans are just tired of being lied to. And you know, my opponent, 31 years in elected office in Texas. He's been on the state payroll for 31 years. He's never signed a paycheck in his life. He's the definition of a career politician. And he's really a political windsock, and that's what career politicians are. And they're going to blow with the wind, whatever the political winds are. And they, they do what's best for themselves and not what's best for Texas. And look, and these issues are not being handled. And there's so many more uh, that aren't being handled. That's why my, my uh, border plan is, 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 is resonating so well with Texans. And, and all my issues are resonating. The campaign's just on fire right now. It's so so I want you to talk about your border plan, but also to expand upon the following concept, I'm going to get right to the 800-pound gorilla in the room, and, and that is, what do you do when you're a governor of a state and the federal government violates every statute, let's say immigration, every immigration law literally works with the cartels for a criminal conspiracy to smuggle over as many people as possible, but then you're caught downstream by other statutes that look at the end of the day, well, they're not really statutes, but Supreme Court rulings that states can't enforce immigration law and it's left to the feds. What do you do with this paradigm when you know we're stuck with the effects of federal usurpations, but then limited as a state in, in, in what we can do? What are you willing to do to evacuate Texas from those effects? Well, I could tell you, it's all about leadership. And no excuses. It's about courageous leadership. And that's what we don't have in this state. We have no leadership. And in a Huffines administration, I can tell you, I'm not asking permission from the federal government to secure Texas's border. I'm not going to do that. This is our border. We, we actually fought a war to define this border, and it was defined at the blood of Texas patriots. And we're going to do, I'm going to do, and Huffines administration, we're going to do whatever we need to do to secure the border. And whether it's build the wall, I've been talking about that for weeks now, my campaign to finish Trump's wall or build a Texas wall. And that, that's perfectly legal to do. And we can do that. Uh, but, but for immediate action, for instance, what we have to do is, is 
is close the border. And I'm going to do that in one day. We have 25 crossings over the border, over the river, and we're going to close all those down in one day. And here's, and I can go in, let me give you a little more detail, but to answer your question a little more definitively, look, uh, I'm not worried about a lawsuit. I'm worried about Texas, and I'm going to put Texans first. And then I'll worry about those lawsuits. I'm not going to worry about those lawsuits, and I'm going to do what I need to do. No, and, and, and that's absolutely uh, true because obviously the left brings lawsuits up the wazoo. You are in the Fifth Circuit, which which has gotten better in recent years. But I want to go on to, to some of the structural problems you have. I, I've heard complaints from Texas patriots for many years about the legislature. Now, obviously, legislatures have become very weak. Um, really, they served as the impetus uh, in the Committees of Correspondence for the Revolutionary War. Um, they are the ultimate form of self-governance. But we've watched an entire year where governors and mayors just rule by executive fiat. And then when we had the session this year in almost every state, very few legislatures actually got on the playing field to rip that power back. And in Texas in particular, they seem to be plagued by a very unique leadership for a Republican red state, both in the House and the Senate, um, just for an example, uh, Representative Brian Slayton had the bill to build the wall, and he told me the committee chairman in charge of uh, House State Affairs refused to hold a hearing, um, and the subcommittee chair over the appropriations was actually a left-wing Democrat. And here we are in Big Red, Texas, and he couldn't get a hearing on his border wall bill. How will that change when you're governor? Well, that's very typical of what happens when you don't have leadership and you've got rhinos running the state of Texas, which we have in our governor's office. And we don't ever get our legislative priorities done, our Republican Party legislative priorities done. This year we had nine uh, priorities and they passed two of them. And it's all because our governor doesn't believe in our legislative priorities. If the governor wanted uh, to build the border wall bill done, it would have been done. But this goes on session after session. It's very typical behavior, and I've talked about it for a long time. I was in the legislature, and I saw it firsthand, the duplicitous nature of these folks and, and what they do and, and how they hide behind not being accountable. They work so hard, Daniel, not to be accountable. They go back to their districts and lie to the voters that they're conservative. And I'll tell you, have you ever met a, a Republican that didn't say he was conservative? <laughs> I mean, they all do, and they're liars. And, and the Huffines administration, I'm going to be accountable. My, my legislative priorities are our Republican priorities. And I'd love to go back and just talk about that border for a second, if you don't mind. And look, the only chance, the only chance we have to secure the border is with the governor of Texas. That's why this election, Daniel, is so, so incredibly important. We know the federal government's not going to secure the border, even with Trump. When we had the trifecta, the House sure. and the Senate and, and a president, we, it wasn't secure. We were still getting hundreds of thousands of illegals coming across into Texas. And, and, and so the only hope we have is with the governor of Texas. And this is an invasion, a premeditated attack on Texas. It's a premeditated, which means it's a premeditated attack by the socialists and the liberals on the United States of America. Texas will go blue. 
I promise you it will. We have, uh, because of our leadership, we, this is our opportunity with a Huffines administration is the only chance we have to save Texas, which means we can possibly save the United States and, and possibly save the free world. Uh, but we're going to close that border down and we're going to hold Mexico accountable. That's the reason I'm closing it. We have to put pressure on Mexico. There's a lot of rich people in Mexico. I lived there for a year. I took my children there, put them in a Mexican school. I love Mexico and I love the Mexican people. But they're a very bad neighbor. Everyone's coming through Mexico. The cartels are going running wild down there. These are the most violent, dangerous criminal organizations in the world. They're all no one crosses that border without paying the cartel and they never have. And they're bringing it's it's 100% human trafficking, sex trafficking, rapes, murders, and and they all have arm bracelets to figure out who they paid. This is an invasion. We think two to three million people will be coming in, illegals will be pouring into Texas this year, just this year. And next year, there might be another five million into, the, into Texas or the United States. This is an emergency. It's an invasion. And, and if you look at Article One, Section Ten of the Constitution. It it clearly uh, defines in where states' rights are if we're being invaded, and we're going to use everything we can to. St- I'm going to use everything I can to stop. So this let me invasion. ask you a revenue question that ties into this, but many other issues. Uh, you mentioned the tax issue as well. So you know, Texas almost has to serve as the shadow government for for the nation, for the patriots in this country, particularly in that issue, you're going to clearly need a tremendous amount of resources for Texas DPS to do what DHS is supposed to be doing. Um, but, you know, you want to pride yourself on not having an income tax and a sales tax. So how do you get enough revenue and then even lower property taxes at the same time? Well, that's all up to the governor. The governor is certainly... Uh, has a big say in the budget. He's got line out and veto power, and he's directly responsible for the budget. And our governor right now, Abbott, has uh, not seen that it's a priority to secure our border. I mean, he admitted uh, last two weeks ago that he did have the authority to secure the border, which is what I've been saying for weeks, and he hasn't done hasn't done it. So the money is the situation. Texas is is blessed with increasing revenues every year. Our revenues go up seven to eight percent a year. And the question is, how much do we spend and where we spend it? And I and I and I say that we do not have an there is we don't have an option but to build the wall. We have to secure the border at any cost because the cost for illegals for the state of Texas is is billions and billions of dollars. We've been paying for 30 years or more, really almost 40 years now since the Piler case. We've been educating these illegals in Texas, and this is costing us about five to six billion dollars a year to Texas taxpayers to put them in our public school system. And not only is it the cost, but it, it's the it's it's the facilities. It just goes on and on, and what we're spending in incarceration, so, for so instance, on illegal. Don, healthcare. let me ask you this: Then, are you willing, as governor, to directly challenge Plyler? Meaning, the same way they've been doing this in some states on the life issue, to uh, pass legislation and try to implement it in Texas to cut off all benefits, including K through twelve education, to illegals, which will obviously trigger a court case. The district judge will try to apply Plyler. Are you willing to set up a direct challenge? Absolutely. 
Absolutely. And I'm going to stop all the magnets that attract the illegals to Texas. And we're going to do the most strictly verify uh, legislation. We're going to stop illegals uh, from getting in-state tuition. And the big one's Tyler. It really is. That's the big one. We, I think the courts, uh, that was a very controversial decision, you know, 5-4 then on SCOTUS. And the courts completely is completely different today. I'll not only challenge it, I'm going to do everything I can to get our money back that we've given the federal government over this for the last 30 years, and I'm going to charge them interest for it. So now, just mo- moving on just the remaining time, the other big issue here is obviously COVID fascism. Um, the impression I get from most of these red state governors is that, well, you know, it's no longer necessary to do these measures, the masking, the isolation. Um, but I, I don't really see in most cases a mea culpa that this was fundamentally unscientific, immoral, illegal, illogical. It's not the way you handle it. And a conviction both through statute and really, I would hope, state constitution to codify certain rights and ensure that this can never happen again. And not just not happening again, but it still is going on. You have a lot of businesses. You have a lot of hospitals. You obviously have the Houston Methodist case. Um, You have states now promoting the vaccine. I want to get your take on that as well. Um, Should a state... A certain, you know, even even short of mandating, but should they even be promoting it beyond what we typical make typically make available for something that is experimental, particularly after so many concerns, not to mention myocarditis. You have a terrific doctor in Texas, Dr. Peter McCullough, who has put out a lot of information on this, raising a lot of red flags. Where do you stand in the here and now on the COVID response in particular and the vaccines, both vis-a-vis the government and private businesses? Well, Daniel, I can tell you I'm not taking the vaccine. I think it's a personal decision that people can make on their own. It's a medical decision, and and I certainly wouldn't require any uh, anyone to take the vaccine. And, you know, thanking Abbott for removing the mask mandate is like or, or opening us back up. is like thanking a thief for bringing back some of your stolen merchandise. He had no authority to close Texas down. The Constitution doesn't give him the authority, the state or the federal Constitution. And he shredded it. He shredded it in one day. I warned everybody before it happened what was going to happen on my tweet. And and I came out with with an op-ed after it happened, uh, alerting uh, the Texans patriots that this is illegal. Uh, He destroyed three million jobs in one day. That's more jobs in the state of Texas has created in the last 15 Mm -hmm. years combined. Tens of thousands of businesses were, were, were wiped out. And worse than that, Daniel, he closed our churches. And I want to make sure everyone understands that however the state of Texas responded to this uh, virus issue was on him. He had complete authority to do anything and give the local authorities uh, permission to do whatever they wanted. And they closed our churches on the holiest week of the year, which was Easter. You couldn't properly bury the dead. You couldn't get married. You couldn't baptize your babies, I mean, or your children, or get baptized, period. I mean, this was uh, just shredded our Constitution. I would have never done that because the Constitution doesn't give me the authority to do it, and I swear an allegiance to defend it and uphold it. Now, you obviously have right now the governors out there saying um, that he did indeed ban uh, businesses from requiring vaccination, but then again— we seem to be seeing they're doing it anyway. 
So you're, if you were governor today, what actions would you take on that issue? Well, I would certainly uh, not let businesses uh, have the vaccine mandate on their on their staff. But let me just tell you, on the governor's bill, uh, we've talked to the author of that bill, and it's very typical how Abbott works. They never hear from the governor's office. He decides which bills he's going to sign and promote them and take credit for it. But he never worked for that legislation is what I've heard. And also the legislation is is about businesses that do that have business with the state of texas and that's how he, that's how it affects it and he makes it sound like with his tweet it was an outright lie that any business in texas is banned from a mask mandate and that's just not the case the way the legislation's worded so you're saying that's why houston methodist is still able to do what they're doing and they even won um that court decision from that crazy uh, district judge in the southern district of texas which will likely be overturned in the fifth circuit but that is um that is still going on. Um, my question to you is this. We talked about private businesses. This is another very important issue on our theme today of making red states truly red. One of the impediments that I'm seeing across the nation, we certainly saw this flare up in South Dakota with the whole transgender bill, that on the one hand, red states do tend to have three things, really. You know, looser gun laws, um, less, fewer regulations, lower taxes. The latter two in particular tend to attract businesses, particularly with what's going on in the blue states right now. But then they come there, obtain a lot of power, even bring some of their voters there, and then try to control the culture of the state. How, on the one hand, do you attract business, which you're really going to need if you want to successfully interpose against the federal government and become a strong state, but on the other hand, not have them control the culture of the state? Well, I can, it's leadership. It's about having courageous leadership that promotes the solutions to our, pro, to our issues that affect Texas, a conservative, a conservative leader. Look, we, we know the issues and we've got the solutions and I've got the courage to implement those solutions. And that's what attracts the right people to the state. We're never going to give an Popeye's administration. I'm never going to give tax incentives for businesses to locate to the United, to Texas because we don't need to do that. It's not fair to the businesses are here to pick winners and losers. And, and we're not, we don't need to do that. I will encourage those that don't have Texas values to leave and go home. If you don't believe what we believe and the power of the individual and the free market and and what we stand for here, our uniqueness, just go home. We don't need you. And it's the same with the businesses and the corporations that come here. If they want to be woke, they can go be woke somewhere else. Moving on to crime, um, one of the shocking things I find, I remember as a kid in the early 90s when we had that wave of crime, there was an outcry in both parties, really, to do something about it, and we did. We got tough on crime. We enjoyed an entire generation drop in in violent crime. Fast forward the past decade, and Texas certainly was a leader on this under Governor Rick Perry, um, and they were like, you know what? I think we have too many people in prison. 
Um, they never really looked at all the people that, you know, just the top four rob robbery, rape, murder, assault that get off constantly, don't get convicted. But somehow we have too many people in prison. We have to let out the prison uh, doors and let them out. So we did this not just in New York and California, but nearly in all 50 states, prison population plummeted and crime is skyrocketing. And again, it's the blue states that get a bad rap. But the reality is you look at Texas, Houston, San Antonio, Austin have record crime. Um, and it's not just drugs. It's it's um, and, and certainly the vagrancy and the, and the theft we're seeing and the homelessness, but just straight up. The issue with the most violent repeat offenders getting released pretrial on low bail recognizance bonds and often not getting tough sentencing. It does depend often on the judge. Do you and, and I'm not seeing any plan to combat it. There was a bill in the House to deal with the bail issues, but it never the Senate didn't take it up. Um, and I, I've never seen anyone really champion this since the 90s. Do you have an anti-crime agenda as governor? Well, we have to make sure that our local police are fully funded. And I can tell you that our local police is, is going to be there. I'm going to have their back and they know that uh, under a Huffines administration. Uh, they're going to be fully funded. Uh, we're going to make sure they have uh, extra revenue to make sure they've got bulletproof vests. Uh, we can even make get more revenue than make sure they have bulletproof windshields and they're and they're protected. But first and foremost, we have to have great leadership from the top. Everything starts at the top, whether it's the bully pulpit with the budget or with our legislation. Right now, our legislators have been just banging around like balls in a pinball game down there. The governor is supposed to be the mediator between the House and the Senate. He's supposed to keep them from fighting each other. He's supposed to direct our legislative priorities, whether it's crime, to get rid of the crime that's running, like you said, running rampant in our major metropolitan areas, or just get anything done that our party stands for. Uh, he, and when you're look, when you when you're a political windsock and a career politician, that doesn't that is not what you're interested in. He's not interested in any of that. The legislature never hears from the guy, so um, it makes it very difficult to solve the problems that Texas is facing when you have weak leadership that we have. So let me ask you this. This is kind of a controversial issue. Um, you know, a lot a lot of smaller states or, or Texas is certainly a large state, but uh, redder states have prided themselves on part time legislatures in Texas. Technically, they're only in session every other year for a few months. And conservatives like that. But but an issue I've always raised is that that was back when the legislature was the only thing that legislated. And if you wanted to limit government, so you limit the time they're in there. But what I'm finding now is with, you know, the governor and the courts and the bureaucracies basically legislating unilaterally 365 days a year. We saw that with COVID. And then certainly the federal usurpations that control them as well. The legislature sometimes is the only recourse to then fight that. And then they're at a session and, and there's nothing we can do. Do you support any reforms to the uh, making, you know, maybe the state constitution more flexible in, in calling the state legislature back into session when need be? Well, I certainly would take a look at that. Uh, I, I am not in favor of having a full-time legislature. I'm in favor of term limits. I'm the one that filed three or four bills every session. I was there uh, trying to get term limits, term limits from the from the dog catcher to the governor. Uh, 
and I think that's going to go a long way in, in, in helping Texas and getting rid of uh, career politicians and making people focus on the solutions uh, for the issues that affect Texas. Now, I know we've gone over time here, but two quick final points. Um, I saw yesterday you criticized the governor over ERCOT. You know, we look at Texas, it, it it's the bastion of energy. It should have more energy than, than anywhere in the world. And yet we're now seeing shortages uh, in supply. We saw this certainly in the winter with the record cold. Now we have a heat wave there. Um, you seem to be blaming the governor. Why do you think that this is a public policy problem with the governor, and what would you do about it? Well, the governor's directly uh, responsible for appointing the overseers of uh, our utility situation. It's called ERCOT and the Public Utility Commissioner, PUC. And he was he put the three people in that commission. Obviously, they had no business being there. They were friends of the governor's, and and now they're off. Uh, but it, the, everyone down there, the governor and his team, everyone knew all about ERCOT. They can't hide behind the fact that they are directly responsible for ERCOT. They're the one, he's the one that got the Wind Energy Award of the Year, the renewables. They're the ones that promoted all the renewables, and they forgot that we don't have electricity when the wind's not blowing and, and the sun's not shining. And, and so we had an energy crisis. And by the way, it isn't over. We'll probably have brownouts and blackouts this summer. And so this is a huge, major problem for Texas. As you know, we had hundreds of people freezing to death in their homes. We had tens of billions of dollars worth of property damage. We had millions of Texans standing in line to get water to survive and no heat, sleeping in their cars. And it wasn't to have fun. It was simply to stay alive. This, this was the, 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 the biggest disaster to really ever overcome the state of Texas. And, and, and it's all on our governor. It's all on leadership. And it's not over. So final point here, you did serve in the state Senate for four years fairly recently. Um, what about your tenure there that you're, are, are you most proud of that voters can look to as somewhat of a guide, an indication of how you're going to be as government of, of governor? Well, I think, thank you for that question. I was always ranked in uh, one of the most conservative, if not the most conservative, state senator in Austin. Uh, I always wanted to be accountable to the voters, uh, the grassroots of the Republican Party. Uh, I was the only uh, elected office holder in Texas history that never took a penny from the state of Texas. No pay, pension, health care, travel vouchers. I didn't even use their office furniture. I'm going to run the governor's offices the same way. I will never take a penny from the government. Uh, uh, personally, and and also the, the the bill that I got done, that I was most proud of. I uncovered uh, the largest political corruption scandal in the history of the uh, modern history of Texas. It was in Dallas County. Uh, some elected office holders were stealing tens of millions of dollars. I got the bureaucracy closed down to 3,000 employees, 110 million dollar annual budget. They got six people put in jail, including the sitting mayor pro tem of the, of the city of Dallas. So those are just to name a few. Um, everybody's welcome to look at my record. It stands uh, stands on its own. And yes, then the primary is coming up next year. Where could people find more about your candidacy? Sure, you go to donhuffines.com. It's H-U-F-F-I-N-E-S, donhuffines.com. And, and my campaign's about leadership, no excuses. Texans first, no excuses. Hey, Daniel, do you know what an excuse is? It's the skin of a lie. So 
Well, <laughs> you know, look, I mean, I mean, people don't realize that they're looking at Washington. Oh, maybe we could win back a little bit here and there. Or a slim rhino majority in a in a Senate where 95 of the senators are liberal anyway. And they're not understanding that you have independent sovereign states where there's trifectas that officially you could do what you want. But but, you know, we don't we don't have we often have super majorities. And and I think this is a big opportunity. We're certainly going to be revisiting this race and some, looking at some of the candidates. But um, one thing I do know for sure, this is likely the most important election. In my view, it's more important than even the presidential election, because I just think Washington's irremediably broken. Uh, we're never going to fully change that, even with the best uh, presidential candidate ever, whereas Texas, I think, is much closer to at least being what the framers envisioned. And if we just had a good trifecta, there really is a lot we can do. And you know what, Don? Maybe if you can make it happen, I just might move there from Maryland. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you need to, because I tell you, it's going to be a new day in Texas. Our greatest days are yet to dawn. And I mean that. We're going to have the lighthouse of liberty. Our economic and personal liberty is going to blind the socialists and the know-it-alls from New York, San Francisco, to the deep swamp in Austin. And Austin's got a huge swamp. We're going to show the world what sovereignty means. I mean, and we're going to absolutely show them the prosperity we're going to create. It's it's really off the charts, and it's going to be tremendous. It really is going to be unbelievable. So get ready. Start packing your bags because we're going to win. we got a path to victory. we got the resources to compete, and we're going to give Texas Republican voters something they've never had the opportunity to do, is that, and that is to vote for leadership against Greg Abbott. He's never had an opponent. Well, we definitely wish you luck, and we will certainly revisit this as this heats up. Uh, Folks, that was Don Hoffines, again, former state senator, running for governor in the great state of Texas. And folks, I went a little longer there than I intended uh, because I did want to get to some other news tape, but we're kind of out of time. Uh, but I did want to be, you know, thorough. So you just, you know, the fact that you're going to hear from every candidate. I do want to make a disclaimer here, and this has nothing to do with the nature of our previous guest, uh, just because it's really the first gubernatorial candidate we've had on. Um, they asked to come on. I'm just making it clear this is not yet an endorsement of a particular candidate. Uh, in prior years, when I would have most people I had on the show, it meant I was supporting them. Um, but what I found is that the amount of research I need to do in order to definitively say this guy is 100% what we're looking for with the exclusion of anyone else, especially when there's multiple candidates and then I start stepping on people locally, it, it's very difficult. So you know, the other option is just to stay away from it. So rather than staying away from it, I'm going to generally have people on that are in the ballpark, certainly if they're challenging a sitting primary challenger. If I do wind up endorsing, I will say so. Um, but this way you can get to hear from candidates, sometimes multiple candidates. Um, there are going to be other candidates, uh, running Chad Prather, my colleague here at the blaze. I will probably have him on sometime soon as well. And, and again, I'm less reluctant to, uh, promote multiple candidates just cause there's a runoff. So, you know, as long as you're able to vet that out, not split the vote, that's great. Um, I feel differently, obviously in Idaho, I am backing Janice McGeehan for governor, um, there are some interesting things that have developed. I see Matt Salmon just got in the race um, for Arizona. Uh, I was pretty close with him when he was in Congress. But, you know, let's let's see who else is running. I don't want to, again, prejudge certain things. But the point is, you have to understand, you look at the states that are not just red, like always reliably red, but will definitely be red 
in a midterm election like next year when you have unpopular radical Democrats in charge, putting the electoral shenanigans aside, who knows what that's going to do. But you look at the, the states that are up and the potential for us to turn over like 10, 15 red state or somewhat red state governorships and have multiple Ron DeSantis and even Ron could get more hardcore then if you have this going. That's a much greater solution than anything you're going to do with the federal elections. Alabama, K. Ivy, huge rhino. She's up. Alaska, Mike Dunleavy. I think we can do better there. It's not as bad as K. Ivy, but he's up. Um, Doug Ducey was terrible, um, but he's term limited. That's an open seat. Matt Salmon is one of the candidates. Arkansas, Asa Hutchinson, terrible. Red state, that's an open seat. He's term limited. You have Georgia, Brian Kemp. You know, that already, I did. There, there is a challenge, and I think, you know, that is the one state that <laughs> certainly Trump will get involved in. Um, Idaho, obviously, Brad Little, very important. You go to Iowa. Kim Reynolds was great on COVID, but, you know, she met with BLM and promoted felons voting. I mean, you know, I, I want to make it clear, the guy doesn't have to be a dirtbag to warrant a primary challenge. Um, too often we view a primary challenge as like you're primarying someone, you're like killing them, like they're a bad person. No, I mean, it's a matter of we believe in choice and competition. And every four years, your term resets. So as the Republican nominee, your nomination resets. And you have to make the case why you're the best candidate. You might not be the worst. There might be worse governors than you. You might have done some good things. But, you know, with a trifecta, we should be able to do even better. You know, if, if we're stuck with Kim Reynolds, then certainly we can do a lot worse. But, you know, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't try to find someone better. Maryland, you got Larry Hogan, term limited. I don't care about Maryland. Um, Massachusetts, ditto. Nebraska, you got Pete Ricketts. Um, you know, he did COVID decently. But again, I think we can do a lot better there. Um, their legislature is awful there. Uh, that's an open seat. Chris Sununu of New Hampshire, he is horrible. Rhino, New Hampshire is not like a solid red state. It's a swing state, but a year like next year, it's going to go red. Um, that is a state where um, I, it's not clear if Sununu is running again, if he's running for Senate instead, but he needs to be out of there. Mike DeWine in Ohio, he is a punchline, speaks for himself. Um, Renacy is challenging him, but we could do a lot better than that as a challenge. Um, he was a congressman that doesn't exactly have a great record. Kevin Stitt in Oklahoma, I would love to see him challenge. This is a guy that has orchestrated the largest release from prison of anyone in history. Um, Henry McMaster, South Carolina, another one of these guys that, you know, grading with a curve, he's really one of the best. But, you know, I think we could still do better. Ditto with Christy Noem in South Dakota. Um, they're not going to be a priority, obviously, but, you know, there were some problems with, with both of them. Billy in Tennessee, horrible, 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 pro-illegal alien, pro-refugee resettlement, um, pro-Islam, um, complete New World Order globalist, COVID fascist, as much as he tries to run away from it. You obviously have Greg Abbott in Texas. Um, Mark Gordon in, in Wyoming, COVID fascist, horrible. These are, I mean... Solid red states. And then again, you know, there's states with that have um, Democrat governors now, but there's a huge chance to get them out. In fact, we're favored to defeat them. But with whom? Kansas, right? There's a Democrat there. We should easily get that in, in a midterm. 
Um, and that's going to be a trifecta supermajority. We got to get the right guy. Um, Michigan, Pennsylvania, even Minnesota, we should be able to win. Wisconsin, um, these are all states that 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 swing red in um, off here. Perhaps even New Mexico, we can get. So there is a lot going on there, a lot of opportunities. Even Maine is 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 in play. The gubernatorial primaries are everything. They are everything. I'm telling you, because that's how you better the legislature and, and, and that. So let me know your comments, questions, concerns about our first candidate we had on, who you want me to have on. Um, I'm just warning you, if you have a guy with literally no name ID and three cents and doesn't have a real campaign, I, there's nothing I can do with that. Um, so it's got to be someone that has somewhat of a pathway uh, for us to spend time on because we do have valuable time here. Lots of issues to cover. Um, again, lots of other exciting stories we're going to get back to this week. But the, the bottom line is it's in our hands to save America, if not all of America, parts of it. Right now, there's not a single red state. It's in our power to change that. Folks, till tomorrow, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.